Okay, so I am so fucking pumped up right now. I literally just got rid of all these extra subscriptions, MailChimp, Zapier, no more Google spreadsheets, no more text magic and Scipio. I was able to get rid of all of those because now I have Flex. You guys have heard me talk about Flex before. Flex is my website and CRM management solution that I utilize. And I'm so fucking, like the reason I love Flex so much is because I had a hand in creating it. You guys know that Joe Tabaldi, who's my branding and marketing coach, he is the founder of Flex. And I've been able to work with him side by side to create a product that is going to help the owners of the micro gym industry fucking win. With Flex, not only do I have a website that's perfectly on brand and not some common template that every other fucking micro gym in my town has, but now I've got a CRM that allows me to manage all the communication and touch points of someone going from the lead stage to the prospect stage to the buying stage. And my entire staff has all the recipes and campaigns laid out in front of them so that everybody gets a consistent client experience. Most of you guys would agree you're doing a great job with the client experience. Once they're a member in your gym, they're happy. But what you're not owning is the prospect experience, all the touch points that take someone from the very first impression, whether it's a Facebook ad tied to one of your flex landing pages or whether they go to your website or Google, whatever it may be, from that first impression to the actual membership. All that white space in between is where we are dropping the ball. And I know the competition is getting fierce. You've got multi-million dollar boutique fitness facilities opening up in your market and Flex gives you the weapon in your arsenal so that you can create a better prospect experience than the other guys. So go to flexx.co backslash WTF and get a demo of Flex to see how this piece of software can change your entire fucking life for you and your micro gym. FLEXX.co backslash WTF. You will not be disappointed. I fucking guarantee it. Just make sure is this good for you. It is. All right, cool. Good deal, guys. What is up? We've got another episode of Jammin' with Joe. Joe wrote me, I thought I was finally going to get to be on a piece of his content. We were going to do back-to-back podcast. I was going to come over here, and we are going to talkie-talkie on mine, on Jamming with Joe. Yeah. And then we are going to just flip it and immediately go over to yours. Yeah. And you completely blue ball me. We will not be doing your <laughs> podcast today. Just not today. Just not today. The truth is, I got I got a little uh, cold feet. <laughs> I got cold feet. I was like, man, I've never had to be in the driver's seat. Um No, the truth is, it's just like everything got pushed back a little bit, and so I'll probably be launching my podcast at the end of this month so we just have to do one more this month does it have a name or is it just going to be like the so flex, flex hq yep. podcast for now i like it um so that'll kind of encompass everything that i talk about fitness and then i'll be starting my own podcast like personally and that'll be called um not answers just perspective and the idea is that i go into just perspective on different things so whether i have a guest with me that wants to go into like the perspective of a gc and what they go into, i think it's really interesting for me to talk to people about what makes their jobs easier? Like what makes them have a happy client? Like I'd love to talk to you sure. about like, hey, let's talk about quickly, like someone comes into the gym, what's your ideal client? Not from a brand standpoint, not from a business standpoint, but just like, who do you like to work with? Correct, yeah. Because I just have this true feeling that you do better work for the people you like to work with. You're nicer yeah. to the end. Like, you know, I remember my seventh grade teacher said it, Mr. Hayden, social studies, first day of class. He comes in, tall dude, young, and he says, you know, there's a rumor going around, this is middle school, He's like, there's a rumor going around that I play favorites. He's like, and I just want to start today with, I do. If you come in on time and you do your work and you participate during class, I will favorite you all quarter long. And it's just like, that stuck with me as like, 
that's your way of saying no. Yeah, you do get something for being 100%. nice and good and treating people well and communicating. I never understood positively. that. Like having favorites. Like even like so, I've got one kid, but I talk to friends that have multiple kids, and I will ask that question in front of the kid. I'll be like, "Which one's your favorite?" Right. And he goes, "Well, I love them all." I was like, and I just look. I'm like, and I'll say it because I don't want to traumatize this kid. Sure. I don't, but but I'm like, Bro, yeah. No, you don't. You do not love them all equally. If you literally had to pick one, which one would it be and why? And it's n- I never get an answer sober, but I swear to God, I get like half a beer in somebody on a Sunday. Like they're like, all right, listen, I would fucking yeah, I would axe Johnny in my a heartbeat. first three kids. <laughs> not a fan. Yeah. That fourth one though, we figured it we, out. We figured it out on that one. Um, so real quick, what is the name of the blog? Because I love that name. Say the name again of your the personal podcast. You're gonna go with not, not answers, answers, just, just perspective. perspective. And then what's the name of the, your blog I like to. That is. That's what that it was is. the blog so That's where I pulled it from. Got so it. the idea was that I was going back and forth whether it should be like more of a ringer podcast of being like always about entrepreneurial and growing business. Sure. But I think I could fold a lot of that. A lot of people that I talk to are in the fitness sure. business. So I feel like that's still relevant to the flex audience. Um, so for me, I want to be able to cast a wider net, but still be able to catch the things that like maybe we have a great conversation, but it doesn't really fit in the flex side of things. Correct. So it's like. Honestly, everything is perspective at some yeah. at some point, but it also gives me the opportunity to just do it by myself, which means that I can sit in front of a camera and give perspective, whether it's my own perspective or perspective that I've picked up on that I can like yield, you know, just to give people a broader dimension to the decisions that they're making every day. Well, I'm uh, I've only been waiting for this kind of content from you for uh, a couple of years now, so I'm, I'm really so excited. excited that I'm gonna. Uh, so, <laughs> and if someone wants to do this, like they already did it, that'd be great. Or else I'm gonna have to hire an intern just for this specific project because I don't want to do it. I want to go back to all of the Jam and Joes we've ever done and pick out all of the times that I said I was going to start over the that, past two years, yeah. and that'll be the intro. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> wants uh, to make some easy money so we don't I'll give you a hundred bucks. Yeah. I'll give you a hundred bucks for ten clips of me saying I'm going to start something—a yeah. podcast, a blog, whatever it is. Yeah. First person to get it to me, hundred bucks. Yeah. Or else we got to ship it over the Fiverr to some guy. That's named, right. <laughs> some guy from East India named John. <laughs> um, all right. So it's stuff to jam on uh, with Joe. So. First off, the most important thing, how many episodes of the show have you watched? Have you all watched the show? You've watched all the episodes? Yeah, watch of the show? every one of them, of course. Very excited. I'm, I'm a not, subscriber. You, you've not given yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have that notification bell turned on? So I want feedback on the I want feedback on the show. Oh my god. Well, so the first my first immediate go to was like, Oh my god, he's a YouTuber now. Right? Like I've been watching YouTube long enough to watch somebody go from someone who makes videos to someone like a YouTuber. Sure. And so that I mean the quality of your background, I mean the the lighting whether or not you recognize how far you've come, like I can see it very clear as day. It's like when you don't see your friend for eight months and he gained 30 pounds and to him, he just gained a little bit. And to you, you're like, oh my God, I, I've never seen you like this before. Um, you Watching you get on YouTube in that context of like, this is actually a show produced for YouTube where a vlog is a little bit more like action and what yeah. happened today and grab a story. And this is more like a contrived, in a good way, contrived, scripted, like let me yes. think about something, have a broader take on it, and give some more depth. And I think that you're an exciting and an entertaining guy to watch, and now you have a show where you can go deeper, where it doesn't have to be just something that you're reacting to in the moment. And, and the reason I was interested on that is because because I know you you watch things, but you don't just consume. You also are analyzing. You you see the depth, the deeper layers to everything anyone ever publishes. Whether it's, it's all com- I want to do, yeah. Whether it's yeah. a commercial, a YouTube video, whatever it may be. And I, you know, I was putting out some podcasts. I was talking with a lot of gym owners, and it was like, guys, you, we've got to evolve the the creative that we put out there. We're all just doing this. We're in, you know, even with the copywriting service and all that. It, it's it's all unique in design, but it is still the same. It is photo with 
this is similar copy that's addressing a micro problem, but it's, it's again, it's nothing unique. Like nobody is doing it. So I went to the, on workplaces, what I use to communicate with all the gym owners I work with. I said, Hey, create a vlog, try a vlog. I want you to try. Here's the format. I gave them the exact format. This is exactly how I think it goes. And I had one gym do it. Um, iron Oak out of Chicago. And it's great. They go out somewhere they find somewhere in the in the city that is actually kind of cool. Like you could actually set up a cool like workout right there. It's maybe by a stadium or it's in this park or it's by this thing over here. There's these cool ledges and like they just do it and they don't show the workout. It's a quick montage of it. It's not even about the workout. They talk about a little something going on with the city and then they go to a local place and they get food or drink and they like have the, the owner comes by and they talk to the owner real quick. It's this cool. It almost feels like diners, drive-ins and dives or whatever yeah, the fuck that thing is called. Right. Um, with a little fitness element and the personality of the gym and they're doing great with it. I was like, that's fucking unique. Like the, the content from micro gyms has to evolve and especially these small budget ones. Cause I've, I feel like I've done a good job getting people to just do some quick montage videos like that. That's a big thing for most of these gyms. If they get yeah. out a couple montage videos a year, that's great, but it's got to evolve. And then the same thing with me not being able to travel, all the speaking shit canceled. You know, I'm not seeing you as much. I'm not seeing anyone as much. There's nobody coming through urban movement, stopping by this, like right. all the entertaining shit for the vlog. So it's just like I could try to force the vlog, but like, fuck it. You got to you got to sit down and, and evolve that content anyway. Just even like you with and I'll bust your balls that, you know, we just need to get you creating content. But like even for right. you, like just evolving it over time, um, uh, you know, we look at uh, the new. Are you watching the new vlog? The Casey Neistat new vlog. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Of course. So, like, you just watch these guys, even people that are creators, time off, create again, or guys who created A and then immediately switched to B. The involvement of content was – is that, the, that was the manifestation of it, the show, because that was the advice I was giving to everybody. And I was like, fuck you. You're not even doing it yourself. Well, and I think the funny part is is that, you know, you, you see a couple of trends like you always talk about. Look into people, steal ideas, make them your own, and keep going. And the truth is that if the whole idea is not your own – you're going to struggle to ever make it your own. If you're just like, I don't know anything about making video, but I'm just going to open up, a, I'm going to put on a camera, I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's like, ah, well, actually have some intent. And I think that that's what steers you differently than the most people. Like, and I, we've talked about this when it comes to ads, right? Facebook ads. Someone comes to me like, I need, I know, I know I need to be running Facebook ads. Can we talk about it? And I'm like, why? Why is it Facebook ads? Why isn't it shirts? Why isn't it phone calls? Why isn't it text messages? Why isn't it something that you're trying to scale even though your business is not at a place where you need to have a team or automation or anything like that? We've had that conversation a ton of times. And I look at someone like you and I say, okay, so you're gonna try to evolve your content, but the truth is the messaging and the goals are always the same. Stay in the minds of the people that are interested in the products that you're offering. Period. Yeah. That's that's your driving force. Your driving force is not to be the coolest YouTuber. It's not to be the best fucking podcaster. It's not to be any of those things. Of course, they are great side benefits if they if they work out, right? Like if your show takes off and your business becomes making a show, cool. And I'm sure that you'd pivot and, and evolve to that. But I think your intent stays the same. You have intent with the stuff that you create. And I think that maybe people should consider starting there rather than just, oh, I, I know I need a podcast, so let me start a podcast. Well, Well, what's your intent? Honestly, right now, we know that this is an attention economy, right? Like, we talk about it all the time. In my opinion, we, we, we're striving away, and I think attention matters, but I think right now it's data, right? So, like, what can you do with data? And obviously, I'm pulling a little bit from the social dilemma, highlighting this right now, but that's the truth. This is the hottest commodity on the market right now that no one's talking about, right? Like, we all talk about the cloud. We don't really understand how it works. Well, just to make it super easy for everybody, the cloud doesn't exist in the cloud. These are data centers, and there's wires running across the Atlantic Ocean. Like, 
It's just a giant network for us all to talk on and someone's watching everything we do. And the question is, how are you gonna get closer to your customers in a way that doesn't feel intrusive? Well, it's to put out content and see how they respond because they're not gonna get to your boring email marketing campaigns. Or maybe some of them will and some of them respond better to your podcast or better to your show. And I think by you personally diversifying your content constantly, you're constantly picking up new audience. You yep. take it, and when you see a little plateau, you're able to just whoop, engage a whole new set of people who maybe only want to passive listen to you. Oh, no, you know what? I always watch the podcast. Oh, cool. Well, now they have a video to watch where you go more in depth. They get to know your inner workings more. They even get to know how you research things. How, I don't know. I think that that's interesting to a whole new demographic, and now there's thousand more people that know what WGF sure. Talk is. And it's – let's go – I did you like the social dilemma? Yeah, I loved it. So – we, I watched it. Everybody's talking about it. And if you're not familiar, Social Dilemma is a documentary on Netflix that was released that talked about the behind the curtain of social media. They took a ton of employees, former Facebook, former Google, um, Instagram, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. They got everyone together and everyone's kind of sharing like this is the crazy shit that goes on behind there. The conversations have been had, some of the agendas and the intents behind like the like button and things like that. Right. So, uh, I watched it and I liked it. I liked it a lot. I did not feel one, not even a point zero zero one percent different about. And and here's the thing: is it's the Chipotle scenario. I I feel like I use Chipotle for everything. If I worked at Chipotle, I probably wouldn't eat it as much. Sure. And yeah, with with this, with the social dilemma, it was one of those things where I constantly feel because creating videos and doing all that is so much of my day. When I go to chill. I'm generally not going for the phone. Now, there's something like this morning. I get a text, Trump has COVID. I'm like, oh, yes, the memes on this are going right. to be so good. Like, so I definitely get on. I go in and I get on Instagram for a second there. But typically, I feel like when, if, a, if a business owner, you know, if they watch The Social Dilemma and they felt guilty, like I'm always on social, I'm just scrolling aimlessly, or you look at your screen time, you know, update on your phone, and you're like, you look at it and you feel like a piece of shit, like it makes you feel shameful. I say use it more for business. You will not like again. I do, and maybe it's just me, but I do not like getting on social media as much. Like I will not thumblessly scroll. I will go and look. Like if I'm going out, like on a Saturday night, and I want to see what some of my other buddies are doing, I got a late start right. meeting. I'll yeah. go. I'll go research even before I send them a text. I'll just want to go see what everyone's doing. Right. But beyond that, like, do do you think there's any any um, validity to that? Use using using social for business more will make you want to fuck with it less in a personal setting, just like. Google's great. They have all these really nice, comfortable chairs and shit to sit in to make you want to stay there longer and hang out in places to eat. But at the end of the day, when you're somewhere all the time, natural human instinct is to get the fuck out of there and do something different. Right. So I, I think that there's a couple of things. So one thing about the social dilemma, I think that if I had to put like, this was my number one thing that I think they did excellent was they personified the algorithm. Yes. That those I think three to guys me, that they yeah, used. Yeah. Those three guys were the same, whatever it was yeah. like. To me, that was the most crucial part because a lot of this is like it gets above people's heads very quickly, but it's not actually not understandable. They're just not interested enough to listen. And that's what I think movies and documentaries especially can do that other things can't. It gets your attention because it's entertaining, but it teaches you something. Yes. And I think that they were the first, at least the first documentary I've seen. And at first it felt gimmicky. I remember when they first got on the screen, I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those types where it's like, oh, it's like it was a, like a, a little childish, yeah, it was right? A there was a narrative of the family. There was an amateur yeah. two-ish, right? Like they're like sitting at this like obviously fake green screen network. But then when they got into like how they were targeting people, that is so important because I think what people disassociate and it's these 
unfortunately, these bigger brands, it's like that's their initiative. Their initiative is to disassociate you with the things that they're collecting, right? I compare it to the credit card. The credit card was not invented as an easier way. That's how it was pitched to use money. It's to disassociate from using the money. Because now, swiping a credit card doesn't feel like you're losing money, but you are. And that's how we run up the debt that we have yeah. because we video games do the same thing. Oh, buy a thousand coins in this app, and it, now we're using real money to represent fake money in a game, and it doesn't feel like anything. It's like going to play poker with your buddies, and you're like, oh, use fake chips. Sure. No one plays like they really would if you put a thousand dollars in front of them and made it their real money. So I think that what this did is like now we realize that money is not what's driving a lot of the economy. It's data. Okay, so let's show them how we're using data, how we're disassociating with the data that we're giving up. And it's not necessarily about like, ooh, I'm a pro-privacy guy, which obviously I am in certain instances, but we all know, well, we should anyway, that there's a direct correlation between privacy and convenience. And the more privacy you're willing to give up, the more convenient that it is, right? Like if I say, I'll have a flying drone follow me around all day and know that like, oh, I want to remember this and it just remembers it for me, well, someone else has access to that, whether or not they want to display it. So I just look at it like I think that they captured what the algorithms are doing so well, which is the, I think the most impactful one for me was when someone wasn't using the app for seven days. And they're like, how do we get them back? And they conjure up something from somebody else that, that was related to them to start them back on the app. And that's what people aren't thinking about, like how they're manipulating these different situations just to get you to spend more time doing it. And I thought it was really ominous how they ended it by giving all the negative – and then waiting to talk about anything positive until the credits were rolling. In my opinion, that was like a huge portion of the drama that they added to it. Like they were sending a message. It's already too late. We're just going to find out what happens now. So to your point, I agree that using these services for more of a business can help you to disassociate with what's going on. But the truth is we have a generation that was raised on social media now, that they're existing now. They're not teens they're in their 20s. Yeah, Z is going to be the first one that was raised, that was raised with it, yeah. where it's like they don't know any different. So, like, you can say, oh, I just look at it to see what my friends are doing. Well, that's why Facebook was created. It was created to see what your friends are doing. Like, it made the news feed was literally meant to put an activity that you don't normally click on, your notifications, and just put it in front of you as like, oh, this is actually the main part of the app. You want to see what your friends are doing. So, cool. That's work. So, but you were also born in an era where that was, everybody's goal was the same. The guy that created the like button was like, this wasn't some nefarious scheme. He's like, we created the like button because we were like, let's promote positivity. Positivity. Let's yeah, have yeah. more pluses and positives and and like that, that's such a good. Ass but then you have to look back and see what happened. Well, and then when they showed the data of the, of the suicide, the, the suicides of the girls, that was the that was the real hit home, and it was like, damn. And it, and it's you know, you have to assume. I mean, like there there's nothing else, right? right? Is there is there anything else you could point to? I mean, really, if you were to think, sit here and argue against it, like if I were to debate against that, that social media has caused the increase in teen suicides and young girl suicides, I was like, I couldn't think of a fucking thing. Yeah. Couldn't think of one goddamn thing I would use to even just even, you know, distract the argument away. Right. Well, because the exponential growth that the Internet gives the world is something that we've never dealt with because we can't. We can't have felt what this feels like before. So it's like after the Industrial Revolution, I can imagine a similar thing like – Oh my God, no, no, no. It's not like the jokes that we don't have jobs anymore. Machines really did take all of our jobs and what are we going to do now? And like, I can only imagine how jostling that was to the majority of people because we only talk about the highlights of it now, hundreds of years later. So what are they going to talk about a hundred years from now? And I think what this documentary was pointing out was we have to be concerned with what they're going to say now because it's impacting stuff now. We're watching 
sovereign nations go down, economies collapse because of how they're aggressively growth. And I think it's funny because, you know, we talked earlier that we want to talk about this company of one book. And I think that we're seeing the the downside of the growth mindset, the growth over everything mindset. I mean, the fact that there's parts of India where they're getting their first opportunity to go on the internet. Sure. And it's, and Facebook. it's Facebook. Yeah. It's like, oh no, because I think what the broader message that I took away and something that I've been thinking a lot about recently anyway, with everything that's going on, because 2020 has been a 2020 has been a year where everybody, I think, becomes a little bit more introspective. Um, and I've been thinking about a lot where it's like, if I had a kid, how do I steer them to what the truth is when I don't even know? I'm not yeah. a dumb guy. I pay attention to things. I can spot themes. I can see that. But it actually, like, truly makes me concerned to think about raising a kid and being like, this is your north. Like this is your due north. This is how we know. We know that this is true. You have to kind of ignore that. There's no line to point to anymore. The media has become just a joke. The the media is literally just deteriorating the whole world because they're not incentivized by delivering truth. They're incentivized by delivering clicks sure. to a boss who says the more clicks I get, the bigger that this fake pile of money that Jeff Bezos is like. Hey guys, don't worry. Yes, he's worth two hundred billion. He can't take that out. It's a yeah. company. He yeah. can't be like, yeah, I'll take $200 billion out. Like, so let's, but in all reality, like I, I love his mindset and I actually feel a lot of things like with Jeff Bezos specifically that I've been, I'm looking to him a lot more recently because I'm running a marketplace app now and I, I want to learn from the people who've done it the best. And you, you see these notions where it's like the thought of not growing, it just never crosses anyone's mind. No. And it's because once you start the ball rolling, you actually can't stop it anymore. You can't. If Facebook went down, it's not like, oh, no, we can't find out what our friends are doing on Saturday night. Hundreds of thousands of people are out of work. Yes, instantly. Instantly. And that not even the direct, not even the ones that, that are W2'd at Facebook. Right? Everyone yeah, who just I'm not even uses talking it. about Facebook itself. Yeah, no, no. yeah, I'm talking about everything that's attached to it. Yeah, it's the algorithm part. There was a part of me I was looking at that as, you know, watching the algorithm when they have the they have the three characters, the three guys that have uh, humanized the algorithm. And they're just like you said, hey, he hasn't been on in seven days. What do we send him? Send him this. OK, he engaged with it. And we got that for 32 cents. Part of me was like, how in the world? How could I? Because here's the thing. I have a you know, I have a, a gym and my gym has an Instagram page or a Facebook business page. Is there ever going to be a time where I can pay extra to have a the algorithm create a specific recipe for people that are on my page, and can I influence people who haven't come back to the gym in seven days? And I'd love to hit them yeah, with some of course. with some messages. I mean, you could do that now. Yeah, and I think and, and that's the crazy part is like the tools that have made it into SaaS businesses for companies like yours and mine to consume are at a much lower. It's like the technology that the Air Force has right now is shit that you will never know about for the next 20, 30 years. So the stuff that they show in movies that we're like, man, you think that really exists? It does. It absolutely does. And 10 times that, because if they're showing you that, imagine what's behind the curtain. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're realizing with the data stuff. Like, you know, something like, uh, what was the big exposure of 2016? The Facebook, what was that? Um, uh, not the heart. Um, the Harvard thing or the the analytics company. Yeah, that yeah. was like, I don't remember it's what it's Har called. It's Har I feel like it sounds Harvard analytic. Uh, uh, Ca Cambridge. Cambridge. Close, analytic. Yeah. Yeah. Cambridge Harvard, analytic. Yeah. So it's like, when you think about something like that, that should have opened like 5,000 data points. Stu, if I sat you down right here and asked you 5,000 questions, you wouldn't be like, I was like, hey, Stu, go ahead and list as many things about yourself as you can. Go. You may be able to come up with 100, a couple hundred, but 5,000, which should open up your mind to think, what are they tracking? 
And I think that that's what they did in this movie. They're like, hey, you know what they're tracking? The last time you opened up your phone app for this specific thing where you only talk to your wife's sister on, and now they know that, like, oh, he opened up WhatsApp, and he only talks to his wife's sister on that. I think there's an affair going on there. Let's put... Oh my goodness! Yeah, like stuff that you don't even realize you're doing. It's realizing it before you. Yeah, and th- but there was the whole part. Where, you know, you're sitting there and you can tell the way the narrative is going. They're really trying to villainize the, this concept and the algorithm and and the data extraction and the analyzation of that data and the manipulation. And then, so I'm watching that as like you know the guy sitting on the couch watching Netflix, but then on the same side as a gym owner, I was like. God, I would love to be able to crank the knobs in the algorithm myself to that degree and that power and influence. Right. You know, because there's this fine line. What is influence versus forcing? Like everyone's still, you. at what point is free will not free will? How much influence has to happen before it's not free will? Or is, or you're on the side of the argument, no matter how much you can have a mountain of fucking influence, it's still always free will. I mean, like, where, right. where does the line blur? Well, I think right now where we're seeing it blur is with kids because they are wa- – so I, I thought I thought I had this thought the other day. I'm actually going to – I very rarely do this on here, but I'm going to bring up my notes because I wrote this down the other day. It just came to me when I was in the car. Um, it's funny because, by the way, where I got the name of my blog and now my podcast from is that's what I named the note that I write down all my notes in. It's not answer just perspective. It's like a reminder to me that's like, hey, this isn't your future advice. Sure. This is just what it is. Um, and I said, I wrote down culture is now an individual experience. And the reason I wrote that is because when we grew up without the needs of social and all that kind of stuff, we were formed by where we grew up. That's your, it. Your socialization happened by live people. Right. Well, it happened live by proximity. Yes. So it was like the people that you went to school with, the people that were in your town, the people that you played sports yeah, your with, ecosystems. the people that, yeah, your ecosystem. And that's what shaped you. So Right now, me coming down here from New York in 2009, people are like, oh, you're from the North. In my opinion, 10 years from now, we won't know that anymore. No. Because what we're seeing is you get to select what your culture is from a very young age because it's what sites you go on. It's what YouTube videos you watch. And what's really scary is the idea that I know as a good marketer, everybody marketers should know this, that like we make irrational decisions. Most of the decisions we make are irrational. And knowing that and confirmation bias is how I run all of my advertising campaigns. Those two factors, right? So on one hand, we know that people will be emotional before rational in making some of the biggest decisions of their life. Small decisions, tissue boxes, toilet paper on sale. You'll be like, oh, well, rationally, this is a dollar less, so I'll get to buy. But when you're buying your car and you're deciding if you should put the extra $2,500 nav system in it or not, well, it's 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 nothing compared to the $60,000 I'm spending on the car. That's the most irrational thought I've ever heard. Like, come on, that's ridiculous. You're acting off complete emotion and then you're going back to it and you're trying to justify it. So knowing that, well, now we know that here's how it works. You're not sure if you should buy the nav system for your car. You don't Google search, should I buy the nav system for your car? You should say, why should I? Sure. That's a tainted search. So now the search algorithm knows that you, you want are interested. Yeah, so you let me want show to. you the 16 things why you should. And the truth is, even if the first 15 were why you shouldn't, all you need is that 16th one that says you shouldn't. You just go, see, that's what I was waiting for. And you get it. That's like That little pat on the butt. So nudge in the direction. Now we know that the YouTube algorithm specifically, and I think it came out, you know, a couple, uh, about a year ago, there was a lot of, it was a hot topic on YouTube to talk about when the flat earth thing was becoming a real, like, oh my God, there's really people that believe in this. I did not know Kyrie Irving retracted those statements like they showed in there. <laughs> that is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Kyrie Irving, uh, formerly of the Cavs uh, and the Celtics. 
was a huge flat earther, and then when they called him out on it, what did he say? He said, I just went down the rabbit hole of YouTube, yeah. and it just... Didn't he go to Duke? Like, I he's a know. well-learned kid. Fucking impressive. But it, it just makes sense, though, because what it sees is like, oh, well, if they like this, right? Well, they like flat earth. Let's show them more things pro-flat sure. earth. Where it gets even scarier is what they've decided is associated. And I thought that the, you know, outside of the humanizing of the algorithm, the second best part of it was showing the polarization around certain topics spreading, right? Like where they show that median line and where people were 20 years ago, which was not that far off from each other, but on opposite sides of the fence. And that gap is is growing, which is what we're seeing right now in our political sphere more than anywhere else, right? We're seeing like, I, I, I'm sorry, I, grew, I, w- I went through the Bush election. Everybody ripped on that dude. Everybody ripped on that dude. Everybody, Bill Clinton. But the topics were not, I hope one dies. And the, and the other person is going to, they say things like, oh, they're going to ruin the country and blah, blah, blah. And we're still going. I've been alive for 32 years. Every president that was elected, they said, was going to ruin the country. They haven't yet. So cool. This one's coming close, right? Maybe. And now we have people who, just by saying a statement like I just said, would decide whether they like me or don't like me. Yeah. And that's where you're just like, oh, because kids are self-selecting their culture and that by the time they're of age where they actually have to make decisions that will impact more than just themselves they don't know what the truth is anymore they can't make rational decisions so at least there was a fallback plan and i don't know what that fallback plan is anymore i politics in the election i hate election season i hate it and it's uh i don't know where i read it it really doesn't matter who you vote for it matters how you treat people who don't vote the way you vote and that's ultimately it like it's like Voting for that, and I understand the magnitude of the job, right? But it, and that's why, again, I've always historically, I tell, I last time I voted, I had to for something project in college. I voted, and I voted for Obama, and then I've never voted since. And and it, you know, maybe it's not patriotic, and it makes me a shitty human or whatever it may be. And but I made a commitment to myself: I'm not going to vote, but I'm never going to complain. Never going to complain like I like because if a law gets passed, it says gym owners all have to fucking shove a pine cone up their ass every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Well, fuck it. Everyone else has to do it, too. So, I mean, like, at least it's it's a fair it's always fair. I might not like it at the grand scale, but if fuck it, we're all playing the same game, we're all playing the same fucking game. Yeah. You know, everyone. there was so much politics about what kind of funds and money business owners were getting. And because this, you know, because Trump's this or because the House does this and this like yeah, but we're all we're all kind of getting fucked at the same time. So it, it does create a little bit of an equilibrium where ultimately the person at the top, eh, I, it doesn't. I don't know if really. I, I have you know. There's a strong argument, obviously, that JK does matter. I'm way more likely to side with the fact that you're ultimately at the end of the day, good, whether it's the president you want, the president you don't, you have just as much likelihood of shitty things happening and good things happening. At the end of the day, you still have to navigate through good and bad shit all the time. Right. It's just, Oh, more, by the way, no tie per- red tie, no person that's running or has ever run is perfect. Just like you aren't just sure. like, I'm not just like everyone listening. Isn't. And I think that somehow, uh, and again, I have a bigger theory about why our culture is shifting in this direction. It's because we're becoming more individualistic than ever before. I really do believe that. If you're choosing your own culture that you grow up in, you're able to self-select. I mean, think about going to school in middle school, some of like the most formative years of your life where, you know, your body's changing, your hormones are everywhere, you're deci- like the first time you hate and love and all this kind of, you didn't hate anybody in elementary school. You can't remember having those feelings because they weren't strong enough, but now they are and they're middle and you're trying to figure this out and you meet somebody that you don't like. Back when we grew up, and which is not that fucking long ago, 
you just dealt with it. You learned how to cope with them. You learned that not everyone's the same as you. And disliking someone's actions or disliking someone's thoughts and theories is not the same as disliking them as a person. And now you have the ability to say, ooh, I don't want to associate with them. And I can disassociate with everybody in my school. I can hate everybody at my school viscerally because online I have 10,000 friends because I found 16 other people that are just like me in a different country or in a different state. Yeah, there's the argument. Would the trench coat mafia have existed if the trench coat mafia could have hung out with other trench coat mafia kids in for, on a Facebook group and they all could have had a place and hung out and done whatever you do in trench coats and not shot up Columbine? But right? I, like, yeah, I just think that there's a... Or there's, could they have just organized better and shot up like 10 schools maybe, at once? Maybe, maybe. Well, we don't know. And I think that that's the thing is like we argue about what we can't prove. And that's what so many people base their arguments on. It's like, I can tell you right now, like, I'll tell you this moment and insert any president's name. It doesn't matter. will absolutely ruin the country in two years. And I could feel like I could be so pissed off at you for disagreeing with me. And the truth is, I can't prove it. I can't. No one can. No one actually knows because anyone that predicted in 2019 what was going to happen to them in 2020 was wrong. A hundred percent of people that predicted to them what was going to happen in 2020, 100 percent of them were wrong. All of them. So what basis of fact are you telling me that you already know how everything's going to pan out? You don't. So do what you want, but understand that everyone around you is in the same game. Yeah. We're all humans here. And we're all trying to figure it out. And I think that just a little bit more empathy, just a little bit more understanding can go a long way, even if you want to influence people to be more like you or to have your opinions. No one really, really responds to someone fear-mongering and yelling at them. It'll work in the short term, but it does not create good long-term stick. Yeah, and the gym owner thing. So those guys, uh, the first episode of the show, I had that um, Attilus gym, you know, those the one in New Jersey. That uh, they boarded it up. They kept right, it down. Right, right, right. I've got them coming on the podcast as well. Oh, cool. So the owners reached out and, and they're going to come on the podcast. We're going to talk. But, you know, I've always looked at like anyone who is a, and again, we'll stick to our niche, a, a micro gym owner. If, if let's say, I, you know, we're friends on Instagram, whatever, and I see your social and there's a consistent amount, especially now this political thing, two things are happening. One, you're very successful and you have a lot of free time. Fair enough. I guess you've earned it. Two, you're not very successful. And one of the reasons why is because you're spending a lot of your time fucking arguing about shit that doesn't fucking matter. Right. Well, especially for you specifically. Yeah. 100%. Like not in the immediate, in like the immediate, especially now, like it drives me insane knowing how many business owners and gym owners are out there right now with all the shit. They're, they're behind on money. I promise they're, they're, they're nowhere near where they thought they would be in 2020, like you said, right? They have, and they're still finding the time. You know, I, I message of the day. Do you think it's appropriate for me to use the gym to, as a platform to talk about political? Like, in, in, listen, it's not whether it's right or wrong. It's like, how do you fucking find time in a day to do that? Well, unless that's the brand of your gym. Understand that yeah. these kind of brand, like these are the kinds of things that shape your brand more than putting your logo on 16 signs. Sure. And I talked to people about this. I just had a great conversation about this yesterday that I wish were recorded because we were talking about branding in here. And they're like, oh, yeah, I see that you, you're well branded in here. I was like, well, why do you say that? And they're like, oh, well, you got your logo on the wall over there. You got some stickers over here. You got some pins over here and bookmarks, right? Like, And I was like, oh, that's just my logo. I mean, yeah, it's part of my brand. Sure. But no, the real branding is that I only use Samsung and Apple. And that I, like, that's, that's just as much branding. So like you picking a side and you coming out, being outspoken about it will absolutely ignite half of the public. Sure. And you'll get half the public's support give or take. 
So as long as you're willing to stand on that and understand that you just alienated, it's no different than when you go on Shark Tank and they say, okay, what's your address, your total addressable market? It's what everybody cares about. What's your addressable market? And they find out that you made something that anybody could consume, but you're only delivering it to men. It's like, well, why? You just cut off 50% of the population for actually no reason, because while we can target men more specifically, you've now put a ceiling because no woman will ever buy the product. So it's like, it's a business decision at that point whether or not you wanna bring politics into your social because you will alienate people and you can't get mad at them for it. And if you don't have the communication skills to politely understand that there's still two sides of this argument, neither of which are right or wrong in certain instances, you're gonna take on a lot of communication work that you may not be ready for. Yeah, so that like Attila's gym, I mean, and I talked about it on the show there, you know, with what they did, I mean, even to the point right now where they turned their business into a um, a campaign center for a local senator that's running, it, I mean, that 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 is the brand now. That will be forever. That'll be, that. Will, and again, I'm not calling it a stain, but it, that'll be a, a stamp on their brand for a very long time. It'll yes. be foundational. It, yes. Yeah. It'll take generations for that to change. But yeah, I, it's the political thing. Uh, I'll be really glad when fucking November, when all this is over. And then there's always like that that hangover that happens right. after the election. The so January. you got to listen to yeah. it for another couple months. But um, I, I'll be you know, 2020. It's a shit storm. Uh, it, but it's again, it's everyone's shit storm. It's like one thing. Like I'd much rather. I'm not gonna lie. I'd much rather this year than if I personally would have had a bad 2020. Right. I, like the idea that every... <laughs> the level it, playing it's field. A, going back yeah. to why I don't like... That's one of the reasons I don't vote. Um, I also refuse to do the research to know who's full of shit or not. I do not have the time because I, I would, can't take it I at face say, value. Good luck. Yeah. Even I, trying to find the research yeah. to be able to know who's telling the yeah, truth Yeah, so even though Vike was completing it, was like, I don't know anything about either party. I'd like to sit down and learn. Where would I go for that unbiased information? Oh, I don't feel like I could go anywhere. I'm just going to hang out. I'll just sit back, watch. I'm just keep existing, doing my thing, regardless of what tie red or blue is in the fucking Oval Office. Um, but yeah, so we talked about Fitness Plus. You and me, I stopped here like a week ago or so, and we jammed about that off-the-record kind of scenario. My big thing with Fitness Plus, for those guys who are unfamiliar, Apple's unveiling. It's like end of November. I think they're dropping it somewhere like that. I don't even know. And it's, it's interesting because now, you know, Peloton is the hardware company that is a hardware company that a software company with a side product with hardware. They make no money on the hardware. Those bikes probably break even, right? That part of the business we'd if imagine. So, yeah. If so, yeah. If not, they take a loss on it. They're a subscriber model. They're over a million subscribers. And then Apple's going to show up and it, like everyone's going to have it. Everyone's going to at least just fuck with it. They're going to at least test it. They're going to at least try it. Right. Like, and obviously I've been asked about this a ton because yeah. it feels like a directly impact studio. Um, the truth is that the net benefit, like the net result of Apple launching this is a hands down a positive for yes. me. Um, it confirms the market. Um, it's the AirPods scenario. It's remember when AirPods came out and yeah. they were super douchey. Everyone hated them. And I literally, I mean, I can't, I bought them it. immediately. Yeah. I bought them when they went up yeah. afterwards. Like they were like 190 because no one had them and they weren't coming out with any more for six months. I was like, no, these are, I have to have these. Yeah. These are perfect. Yeah. You're an early adopter. You jump right. on tech, especially cause you're a fanboy of Apple. That's yeah. your, that's your brand. But for everyone else, I think again, it's just going to get people, it's going to raise the status quo to the point there where I think in 2025, someone's going to come and be like, Oh God, I just moved to Charlotte. I'm looking to join you. Great. Cool awesome let me see the class i love the class so tell me about your at-home workouts and there might yeah. be a gym that's gonna be like uh we we don't i mean we did some in 2020 but we don't really have to like you 
you don't offer at-home workouts. It's going to be like saying you don't offer showers if you have a gym in a downtown metropolitan area. Like there's no gym in a downtown metropolitan area that doesn't have showers, right? It's right. an expectation because that's the that's what they're looking for. That's what they need to exist and work out and, and live, work, play, that kind of thing. Yeah, and again, if you go back to what we talked about earlier about people making irrational decisions, something as small as having at-home workouts could be the reason that someone picks you over someone they else. They may never use it. Right, like, yeah. and that's the truth. It's like, right? it's like the fucking pool at yeah. the at the. Everyone wants to make sure their apartment has a pool. They don't care that they have to drive seven floors up onto a parking deck. But do I have a pool that I use three times a year because you don't open it except for three months? Like all this crap, and there's too many people in it, and it's only this big, and it gets closed down every three days because someone dropped a glass. Right, so it's like. But you may never use it, but it matters that you have it. It matters that when you do your first tours for the first month that you have the place and someone comes visits you and you're like, oh, yeah, look at this dope-ass pool I never use. But, like, now we're getting to it where it's like I'm hoping that studio becomes the like part of the vernacular where it's like I don't want people walking into the gym saying, do you have at-home workouts? I want people walking into the are you guys on studio? I want that to be something that people say, and I think that when you have a marketplace, that's where I'm really – like I have two points that I think I'm really diverging on from the the – market right now of peloton fitness plus and you know what let's not pretend that equinox isn't stirring something like these brands oh, are yeah. all coming out with something soon isn't um oh what who is it is it soul cycle that's coming out with their own bike no so soul, make, soul cycle already has a bike like an at-home bike yeah okay that's like yeah. digitally all yep. just like peloton so like i'm watching those things happen and i'm like okay that's great the thing with all of those including peloton including fitness plus is that they're all going to come out of the same faucet Right, so whether you have a great personality going into, it, if you get hired as a trainer there, don't think for a second that it's going to be all you. Right, it's going to be very produced. It's going to be, you know, very non-compete. It's gonna, you know what I mean? Like it's a different ecosystem. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's different, and it's going to be a lot of the same. And what I'm trying to approach is like, actually, some people like to listen to guys like you and me talk versus guys like Zuck and uh, the, the head of Recode. Right, like it's just there's more things that more authenticity with the people that you already know. I think you brought it up in your last show where it's like, it's super cool to think that, oh, I have this offering that these other big brands have. But what's more interesting to think is that the consumer's looking for someone in their area locally because once I don't feel like working out anymore, it'd be really cool to be able to go to a gym that has these people in it. Yeah. Right? And, like, and good the, luck finding one of the Peloton trainers out on the street. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just not going to happen. 100%. And it's, you know, I look at it, it's funny, you met, uh, mentioned Soul Cycle on the bike. You know, Apple owns the hardware, the the hardware that you use all the time. That Peloton bike is only being used when you're on the Peloton bike. Your iPhone, Apple Watch, tablet, and laptop are being used all day right. long. So I, I definitely see that as a slight advantage. But at the end of the day, you know, everyone's, you know, looking at uh, I've got a lot of questions about flywheel declaring bankruptcy. For those of you guys who are unfamiliar, Flywheel started, the two women who started SoulCycle, the world's most f famous and successful spin studio brand, they went separate ways, and the one was more competitive. She created the competitive version of SoulCycle, right? She played Flywheel. There's a leaderboard. It's, it's very competitive. And they tried to step into an arena that they never should have. They went into the hardware game even before SoulCycle did. They went ahead and they had a bike, and you know it was not obviously nowhere near as Peloton, but the amount of money that they invested in trying to step into that arena crushed them. I mean, they right. absolutely crushed them. Like I don't know. Again, I not knowing the inner working finances to uh, that finite degree, but they were obviously so over leveraged. 
that they had. That's the first boutique brand. Now, all the other, if you look at all T, uh, TSI, Town Sports International owns Boston, uh, the Boston Sports Club, the New York Sports Club, all these big brands, the Gold's Gyms that shut down, the 24-7 fitnesses, all shut down. It's Chapter 11, bankruptcy. Flywheel's the first boutique one, the big name boutique one. Why didn't it happen to SoulCycle? Why didn't it happen to Barry's? Why didn't it happen to whatever? SoulCycle had more cash. Berries didn't try to step outside of their lane. Uh, Orange Theory didn't try to step outside of their lane. And there was a moment where people I know in the industry are like, Bear, or Orange Theory is coming out with a kit. You're going to be able to buy a tread or you're going to be able to buy this, whatever. And I, it never came to fruition. And upon further conversation, those people were like, why? what happened to Orange Theory's kit? And like, they decided to pull the plug. They didn't want to be like Flywheel. And Flywheel just stepped out of lane. Now, let me ask you this. At what point was were they trying to innovate and be at the edge and trying to keep up, right, and trying to evolve their business? And at what point did they fucking just step into a lane they had zero business being in? Well, I think the question is, did they start a pre or post COVID? Because I think that changes everything. It's I think pre. I think some people would say, wow, COVID definitely benefited them. But the truth is that while we can all look at it, and if you're looking at, and this is why the perspective matters, if you're looking at it from a fitness perspective, we're all thinking, wow, the brands that were already ready, the street parkings, the ones that you brought up in your last show that are already ready to be the at-home on-demand and or live workouts are positioned so great, man, they must be killing it. True, in the fitness scape. However, when you look at the fact that the economic downturn that we've taken during this, like, People have less money at home. So if you've decided that you're going to come out with a brand that's like, hey, it's 100. Fitness Plus is $9.99 a month or what, $14.99? Yeah. So it's like that's a third, a fourth of the price of Peloton. So why didn't they come out with a $40? Everyone would have paid it. It's Apple, right? Like we know we have this expectation that they're going to be great. And they're rolling it into their new model, which we can go into if we want to talk about that. Uh, the bundling of reoccurring. Apple One or something Apple like One, yeah. right? And uh, truthfully, I think that that was the bigger play. I don't think Fitness Plus is a direct attack on Peloton. I think it's saying, hey, we're going to put our foot in the game, but also we needed something to interest the first 100,000 people sure. to get on Apple One, which now is getting more steam because there was nothing to talk Disney about. Disney Plus, Hulu, Apple Fitness One Plus. wasn't something that they could have come out with and just said, hey, we're just like all these other ones now because Apple can't be that. Yeah. Apple can't be the behind the eight ball. They are the more refined. They're not always the innovator. They're the people who perfect the innovation and come out with the first user-friendly version of what all the early adopters messed with for the last two years. And I think that right now they're trying to drive traffic to that. So if you look at someone who's went right before COVID and decided to get into the hardware and the tech side of things, it may have been a good venture. And then they may have seen their sales absolutely fucking plummet when all the people started canceling the memberships from the studios. And that revenue was not insignificant, I'm sure, to the top line. So it's like, now what? Now, so it's not like a bottom line thing where you're worried about, oh, we didn't make as much profit this year. Most businesses are going to get a fly on what happened this year. But if it's the top line where the capital's not even there anymore yeah. for you to continue to invest in the research and development of your products, yeah, you could definitely, they could have been past the point of no return as everyone's canceling It could have been a fulfillment thing. You could have been flywheel. You could have had this bike ready to go. COVID hits. You're like, great, awesome. Maybe all the members, we can even offer them discounted bikes that we buy back after COVID's done and we go back in the studio. <laughs> but we, we we have no supply chain. We we never anticipated having to sell 20,000 bikes. Yeah. We we have 15,000 or 10,000 in a warehouse. That's it. So like whatever the reason is, it was just that was a huge, a huge moment. Like for anyone that does understand the importance of how big of a thing that was for the fitness industry, Flywheel declaring bankruptcy is a huge one. It's a huge misstep from a very powerful brand. Um, but it also shows the 
what happens, and I'm not saying that this is what they did, but I think it's like an, uh, an overall thing to kind of look at your own business about is like the short-term economics versus the long-term brand plays sure. that are going on right now. And it's like, if you think that COVID hit and we've already experienced it and now we're on the flip side, you're sorely, sorely mistaken. The economic impacts of what just happened will be for the next two to three years, yeah. possibly forever, but we definitely know for the next two to three years because all the people that even joked a month ago, I had a buddy turn to me and he was like, Oh yeah, he's like, well, I mean, it only took Prime what like a month or two to get back to going back to one and two day shipping. So obviously, and I'm like, whoa, 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 that's just right now. I was like, go to Rogue's website. Oh god, go to Rogue's. Everything's sold out. Yep. Every they're they're basically a made to order company right now, and they were. I mean, they had money to put up a new thirty thousand dollar billboard every six months. Like these companies are struggling right now with supply chain issues that we won't see the impacts of probably until twenty twenty one, and so. There's plays right now, especially in fitness, where it's like right now what I would be trying to do is say, hey, what's the lowest overhead thing I can get away with to start aggregating attention for a long-term brand? Because your short-term economics may seem good, but they won't survive. They won't survive what's happening right now with this constant up and down. Yeah. Hey, going to back to Flywheel and even like the Gold's Gyms that shut down and all that, it goes back to a lot of these guys growing Faster than they probably needed to. And so uh, the one I want to make sure we jam down with this podcast, you recommended a book to me a while ago, uh, Paul Jarvis, Company of One. And then Ryan Weber recommended it to me and a couple of the people hit me with it. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to get it. So I read it. And it, it was instantly one of those ones where, and there's very few, like there's a couple of branding books that have done this for me, but that was one from a business perspective that was such a huge, holy shit moment. And I think it's because I've got the dual lens. I have the, the, the gym business and the real estate business that are actual businesses. And then there's the WF gym talk, which is just, it is, it's a company of one. It is a job. Right. And then look, it always has the intention of being correct. You told me from the very first 100%. day that we ever worked together, I was yes. like, what do you want this to be? You're like, it's always going to be me at the top. Just and then a job. other people may be taking care of what needs to get done. Correct. It's always going to be a job. When I die, it dies. And it's so interesting. COVID happened. All my stress that exists during COVID gym related real estate company related because these are businesses no stress really end up for wtf i i, I stress because i i really felt for a lot of clients and people like that that it's we went through some really hard shit but beyond that it was always this is super low overhead i don't have to worry about making any payments things like that and right now i'm able to continue this thing on and there's a lot of things to talk about Talk to me when you read Company of One because you think about the concept of growth and you obviously right now you have um, a business and do you think of it like being a company of one or is it like – so for me right now I look at it like my, some micro gym owners I need to redefine for them. I need to come up with the definition of micro gym specifically. There needs to be segments, right, whether there's this independent micro gym element, a franchise licensee, and then this globo gym kind of model. But if you're a micro gym owner – you need to accept some realistic financial ceilings that do exist, but honestly, growing to just that ceiling, if you do it right way, like I've got a piece I want to do for one of the shows, it's uh, the perfect ideal micro gym by the numbers, and it literally shows make this much money, you take home this much, have this many staff members, have this many members at this price point, and you'll still get to work and fitness, you can coach one to two classes a week, you can still hang out at the gym, it'll be like yeah, your spot. The lifestyle but, business. Correct, yeah, yeah, correct. And, and I'm creating the numbers on that and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking maybe that's what the micro gym owner of today needs to realize that their opportunity is, is having a company of one. And that doesn't mean one person. Guys. Right. Yeah, it's it, get into the book, but it, it's this idea that you resist growth, you resist scaling when there's better ways 
to generate cash for your money or to develop? And is there um, top line growth goals? Like everyone's like, oh, if we, I want to do a million dollars in, if we, I want to do a million dollars in revenue this year, I want to do eighty thousand dollars revenue a month, whatever it may be. Okay, well, what if, like you say, I only want to do twenty eight thousand dollars of revenue? Like you, that you set the goal here. I only want to do that. We won't do more. It's an upper bound. Yeah, and that's what I think. So to me, the book, the essence of the book is not that growth is bad, but that growth is our default mindset, and why aren't we questioning why? Like, why aren't we in ourselves being like, hey, is growth the most necessary thing for me right now? And I think, I don't know if this example is used directly in the book because I read it, you know, over a year ago. But, um, you know, there's kind of this concept of I'm going to go into something and my goal is to make $5,000 a month. And if I make anything more than that, awesome. Which sounds like a great statement, right? Like, because if you make 6000 yep. that's great. What if you make 100000 And you're like, well, that would be the best thing ever. Really? Would it? Because if you have $100,000, that means a lot of people are paying you money. And what expectations do they have? And are you going to be able to satisfy them? And the, the truth is that we've seen just as many brands. I mean, look at Fire Festival, right? Like, let's not forget about shit like this where it's like the idea and concept of it was actually great. That's why he got so many people to commit to doing it. The execution was absolutely horrendous. But if there wasn't so many high-profile, influential people going to this thing, we would have never even heard about it. And that growth, that mindset of like, doesn't matter, just bigger, just bigger, just bigger, just bigger, can actually yield to companies that you can't sustain personally. And if that was the whole goal, right? Like I, first, if I have anybody, I love working with early entrepreneurs, right? That's like my favorite thing to like get the excitement of when they just have their first idea. And what I do first is I always talk to them. My first thing is like, what's your goal? I don't, I don't want to hear about your goal for your product or service. You personally, what's your goal with starting your own business? And if the first thing you say is something about money, I immediately know that you're going to be working behind the eight ball for the majority of your life. Because if the truth is, if you want sustainable income, get a job. Yeah. That's where you can get sustainable income. That's where you can know that these, go get a job at Bank of America where you know in six years you'll be making six figures and in this many, like you just, you can map it all out. And yeah, there may be some like things that you're not in control of over the time, but like there is a course that's already been done and you can- Chasing money has burnout at the highest level. Of, of course, of course. So now I think what he does, I, I know he goes obviously exaggerates with, or doesn't exaggerate, but his personal um, exaggeration with overhead is death. Yeah. Right? Like that's anything that's, a, well, obviously I'm not exactly following that because I just rented a space that obviously now has more overhead. But I've, at least to my opinion, somewhat carefully calculated, okay, well, this is now a cost, a sunk cost for the next X amount of years. So what are my lower and upper bounds now? Because I want to see an upper bound because that's how I know I'm doing okay. About eight months ago now, I guess now probably about about a year, I guess. Um, I was in a spot with Flex where we hit a spot where I felt good. I was like, I'm paying myself, I'm paying an employee, a couple of people here, I got some part-timers. Like everything felt great and I was stressed out every day. And I'm like, why am I so stressed? And I realized that when I sat down and I wrote, I literally just wrote it down in my journal. I was like, every single thing that stresses me out, I'm gonna write them down. Doesn't matter how raw it is, anything. I wrote them all out. And I realized when you take the personal ones out, the business ones that were left, 90% of them were around growth. This was before I read the book. So it was like, oh shit, all of these things are solely about growing the company and have nothing to do with where the company's currently at. And oh yeah, it was a little over a year because that's what prompted me to throw that flex turns two party. Cause I'm like, you know what? I need to sell it. Like I've gotten somewhere. I got somewhere where I could pay myself and sustain a lifestyle that I like. I'm not making millions of dollars, but this is something that I feel very confident in. And I think that that, I think I read the book at the right time. Cause I was like, 
oh man, this is answering a lot of the thesis that I already had in my head that I was planning on researching later. Yeah, he talks about there's, I think he does four different reasons why companies grow and he labels things like um, if you have investors, right? They want to return. Yeah. Uh, churn is one of them. If you're losing people at the back, you have to keep growing there. Ego being one of the big ones. I think ego is the biggest. Yeah, ego is the biggest because I think we all look at the, you know, in my ministry, the Jason Kalipas and their multiple locations, right? Or you see... Uh, Bedros Coolahan, whatever the fuck that guy's name is, the guy who invented Fit Body Bootcamp, the founder of Fit Body Bootcamp, and him and his private jets and all this stuff. Like, you see this and hear this, and my my take on this has is changed so much as to what a micro gym owner is, and then just setting the expectations because there are not flaws in Paul's um, in theory at all, but you look at it, and if I'm a micro gym and I read Company of One, and I'm like, I want to get to this certain point. I want to. I want to grow. If Stu would be enough for me to make eight thousand dollars a year, I want to coach three classes a week. I want to have this many staff. Whatever there there is on a long enough timeline, there becomes still plenty of headaches that exist with it. It's going to be churn because if employees can't keep making more money as their tenure in your company grows, that has limitation. You are you will be hiring and renew people every however many years or however often that is. There is also. The situation of whatever your climate and your avatar client is, if it evolves over time, which a lot of people, especially in the CrossFit industry, has noticed a change in their climate. You find any CrossFit gym owner has been doing it at five years or more, ask them, do you have the same clients, and let's say they opened in 2010, do you have the same clients in 2010 now that you do in 2020? Let's do it on a 10-year window. Like, no, they're a lot of them were younger. Like, yeah, a lot younger, and then they kind of grew up, and some of them got married, and they moved on, and now I've got this hybrid mix. I got some of the old people that have stuck around. They're like 10-year veterans, right? but they're older now with kids, and I don't, they don't really make it work. And I got a lot of new people that are moving. I'm a growing city, Stu. I'm in Wichita, whatever the fuck, and I got a lot of new people coming. I got some people in the middle. That's the number one thing I'm hearing with the social media copywriting thing. I have to dig in so deep on the avatar of the client, and everyone's the same. I've got young, I've got middle, newly married, and I've got you know married two and a half kids in Labrador. And I'm like, well, which one do you have? Where is the clientele grown? So even like with a gym, you know, a company, a one concept, there will be, you will need to at some point put more money into things to chase things because that clientele does change. It's, you know, I look at company one and I think it's great for a micro gym. I would, I think company one is like perfect for products. Yeah. I think products is like the ideal scenario. Your product well, personal services. Correct. Yeah, personal like freelance service, yes. is a correct. perfect example because yes. they he and I think he even goes into it in the book of like here's your typical growth pattern. You decide you're going to start your own business, you're going to freelance, you're going to work, you're going to say, "Okay, here's what I need. I want $4,000 a month. I'm going to get four clients to pay me $1,000 a month." And in 6 months you manage to do it. You're all excited. This is super cool. You're at your full capacity of working. And the first thing you decide to do is say, "Well, I need more." So let me hire somebody. I'm going to hire somebody so I can give them a couple of my clients so I can get some higher paying clients and they can take the lower paying ones. And then what you realize is that a year later, they're covering your clients. You underestimated what it takes to manage all of the clients because even though you're not directly serving the clients that this other person is, they're still your company's clients. So if they do something wrong, that person can quit. Yeah, You can't. So now you have this extra and you don't take into account. And then at the end of the day, your bank book looks exactly the same it's margin people and, and so it's like yeah. it, it, that's that that can't that's not a good growth pattern yeah you'll see these guys like i've got a seven figure gym my gym uh does a sixty five thousand dollar mmr monthly recurring revenue and like at what cost it because if it take because if you make sixty five thousand dollars per month but it cost you 
$50,000 to make that, it's still a $15,000 a month business. And there is a personal trainer out there or an online, like some of those people I highlighted at Street Park and all that, that are making $15,000, $20,000, $30,000 a month, and they wouldn't have to leave their home during the pandemic if they wanted to. And if the government shut down, nothing can happen to them. They are literally a company one. They're completely remote. The brick and mortar micro gym is also, when I thought of a company one, I also started making me think of how difficult, and I'm going to challenge, I'm going to ask you a question. Cool. Name me another industry in which you pay a top dollar service, you know, it's called $200 a month for a gym, a top dollar service, and you get uh, results that are uh, personal change, aesthetics. Uh, you're looking for you're looking for personal change amongst yourself, physical or emotional, whatever it may be. And your results take months, if not years. Think of another personal service industry where you go in for the change, and someone goes, "Cool." In six months, though, you're going to be kind of looking different. It's going to be good. In six months, this is going to be good. Honestly, the only reason I'm going to say this is just because it's kind of like marketing. Yeah. Marketing. That's what it is. You come to I, I me with your sh- business. Yeah. Shrinks and, now it's and not personal. Right. Yeah. That's it. Right. So it's like, those are the only two things that came Teeth to Teeth whitening, salons, fucking everything. It's immediate. Pan- it's immediate. So with the lack of instant gratification, it's different. And even products are instant gratification. I hate when I hear someone say, oh, the fucking new iPhone's $1,200 and you can't get people to buy your fucking program at your gym for $1,200. I'm like, do you realize how awesome it is when I yeah. buy a new iPhone? Tell oh, me one thing you use more. Yes. <laughs> in your whole life. hundred percent. The the gym industry, you know, you hear restaurants have a 3%, uh, you know, margin and they also, what was it like 70, 80, not whatever percent of them go out of business in the first, uh, in the first year. And that's a company that gives instant gratification, instant. I'm hungry. No, I'm not drinks. No, I'm not. Now there's a lot of complications in that industry, but you, but people put restaurants up there as like one of the hardest businesses to create. Right. I, I look at the gym as I think it's definitely in the top five, top ten, because what we give you is not instantaneous. And if someone wants to say, but you feel good leaving, cool. Then why, if you feel good leaving every time, why do you have clients that don't come in all the time? Why do you have clients that that cancel? Why do you whatever? Because I promise you, if you look at other Botox bars, you look at these other industries, the more immediate the result is, the more likely, that that's what it is. Like, right. That, that, and that's it. And I think as a company of one, when you read this book, it starts making you think of how could I shrink overhead, increase margin? How could I actually get smaller and leaner and be able to be a jet ski instead of this Titanic? Well, and that this is what, and I think we've definitely talked about this on our early podcast because I remember it being something on my mind a lot, which is why do small companies want to act like big companies in so many ways when all of the big companies are sitting back, like, man, I wish we were that small. Yeah. And you don't wonder why, right? It's everybody, the grass is always greener. So like when someone comes to me and I think, you know, we've joked about this about flex a bunch where it's like someone comes in and they say, well, I want it automated. I don't want to have to touch anything. And when I come in here, I want this to happen and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool. How many leads you get a month? Oh, 17. You get 17 leads a month and you're worried about having everything automated. I just, it, it kind of like makes me scratch my it's head ego. because I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm not upset with you for wanting to make your life easier. Everybody wants to make their life easier. I get it. I, I'm not mad there, and there's definitely automations in my life. But I think what I'm upset with is, like, this is your core customer and the market. If you lose your pulse of the market, your business will suffer yes. drastically. And if you so think the communication the, is the best way to have the pulse of the customer. Because what I always joke about is, like, hey, way more people are going to see what I put out for you than what you put out for you. I'm building the front-facing. More people are going to come to my website for you than are going to come to your gym ever. 
ever. That's just beard. Probably in a couple months, get you a couple thousand views. How many people that walk into Urban Movement a month? If you're having a great month, if you're getting, imagine if you got a hundred new people to walk in every week. Oh my God, what the business you got. I get thousands of people every week to those two websites. So it's the same. And I'm aggregating that data and trying to present it to you. It's like, the more hands-on you are in that process, the more you understand the shifting of the tides where like, ooh, making this one little change to how this reset series is promoted actually does have a major impact on my business. Why would you want to disassociate with the audience that is trying to consume your product? And I'm not saying that automations disassociate. I'm saying that it's a level of, it's a level of hands-off that I can't understand why people want. Like your desire is to work less. Cool, then don't be an entrepreneur because that's, a big part of it. I also think it's time to work less. When you're starting off in a small gym, you do all the grind shit. You reply to every email. You're on the phone. You're like, you've got the two lines. Maybe like me, I carry two cell phones like a fucking drug dealer forever. So then when automation oh, comes Oh, that's for in, your business? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and now it's going to feel so nice to be able to say like, oh, I've got something that takes care of that. I literally, I just did this to our friend Aaron Dodge. So we have a guy here in Charlotte, Aaron Dodge, a uh, big TikTok guy, and he's started a TikTok consulting company. And I reached out to you like, hey, Dodge wants to, he's going to book some time. And you know what I did? I was like, here, email Deuce. I literally was right there. I could have booked my own time with Aaron myself, and I know Aaron personally. But it's, it, it's you know, I've got this mindset. I, I contribute it to ego of like, oh, that's something I, I don't need to be. I need to feel like I've made it's it. It's beneath me. It's beneath me, yeah. and I need to move beyond that email deuce. And I the second I sent the text, I was like, oh, God, I just felt like the douche fucking cloud yeah. over me. And I was like, why didn't you just handle it yourself? Because also you said the big companies looking down on little ones thinking like, man, you've got it made. I wish when you're little, when you're David – the thing that works for you is that you can run underneath Goliath's feet and you can grab that small, you can do the things big companies can't. Right. Big companies can't talk to everybody. SoulCycle cannot talk to every one of those clients. Orange Theory cannot, nor can Barry's. You can, you can have personality. So if you tell me that you're a micro gym owner and I'm telling you one of your superpowers is that every piece of communication can have fucking life just like amazing personality, amazing feels, cool, like you can come alive in communication and you're like, no, nah, I'm going to outsource that. I'm like, you do realize that's what Orange Theory is doing, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, so you just had a differentiator, something that actually did make you unique. And you want to do it just like Orange Theory because of either ego or because you, you know, that's the thing like, oh, I've got so many. You don't have that many leads. You can talk to those people. Like, it's it, it's very frustrating. Well, and I think it's until you get into that big market atmosphere that you realize that it's not all glitz and glam. Like, so my brother sold um, his company to Thomson Reuters, right? Tens of thousands of employees. And he worked there for a year as a part of the the um, acquisition, and he hated it. And he didn't hate it because the company was bad. He hated it because he had a matrix of managers, and he had a guy on his staff that he wanted to let go because he didn't like his work ethic. He doesn't he wasn't producing the right way. And after all was said and done, he had to talk to people. It took three months to fire someone. So think about right now in your small business, if you have someone that's deteriorating your business from the inside, and you're like, well, you can want to fire them today, but you can't for three months. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the, the the way that you have to approach the business decisions that you're making now is a whole new game. So what these big companies look at is they say, we can't be agile, we can't be fast, we can't just bend to what people want, even though it seems like they could because they could throw the cash resources at it. But if you've owned your own business, you know that finding quality people is one of the, if not hardest. the hardest part of the job. My dad, 78 years old, I love him to death. Almost every, I talk to him every single day and almost every day I bring up my business, he brings up something along like, I've always wanted that. He worked for IBM for 32 years. 
I've always wanted to have my own business. I just wanted like a donut shop. He always wanted like a donut shop. He goes, because when I walk into those places, they're never nice. And he goes, if you just walk in, you just treat people right. Oh, yeah, let me help you out with that. And he's like, if you just use those same tactics with every person, you're going to be able to build. I think I can knock them all out of business. And I said, okay, dad, I'm going to give you an idea now that I have my own business. Uh, I will actually support this. I will buy you your own franchise at 78 years old. And here's what you have to do. You're not allowed to spend more than $10 an employee. And I want you to go find five employees so you have all your shifts covered who for your donut shop who give two shits about anything you think about how to run the business and manage to put all of their personal shit aside, all of their life dreams aside because it's just a job to them. This is not a career. And you want them to act like you do owning the business? Come on. Yeah. So it sounds so good topically. It's the same thing when people go into, hey, I watched all Stu's vlogs and now I have the operational capacity down to that. I have my my first impression, all of the things that you preach, which are so beneficial to them. And as soon as they get to somewhere where it's like, well, why is this gym down the street working? They throw it into this empty vod of, oh, it's brand. Oh, what the fuck? Well, why are you just casting that all aside? Go learn what the shit, what are they doing differently? Why can't you have that brand? Why can't you get into your customers? And the avatar is a funny one, right? Because the truth is, it's some, it's, I'm not, saying that avatar creation is easy, right? It's not, especially when you only have 80 customers. Because while 80 may seem like a lot too to you, small of a sample it's size. too small of a sample size, right? It's the same reason why someone says, hey, I A-B tested my landing pages and I know that A works better because 17 people click versus 20, you know? And it's just like, wait, what? What are you talking about? It takes 10,000 to even make an accurate. So like your stats are off. Go back and take stat, the class you slept through in high school and college. Like these matter. These things actually matter to what you're going to. So I don't know when you like, you bring in the sides to them of like, okay, this is something that's going to give me immediate gratification, like what you were talking about before. Having the person be the front line, the f- you're going to talk to more people as a business owner handling your prospects than you are handling your customers. You realize that, right? Yeah. Because you don't convert every single person. Why wouldn't you want to be there? That's where the data captures are. The CEOs of these companies hate the fact that they don't get to talk to the customers anymore. That sucks because that's where you get all your really true feedback from. We can use the best we can to get review services that send out surveys. We can use our best to have a phone call from our, you know, our admin that sits at the front desk all day and just ask people how they like the last workout. But we also know that the answers that they get will always be tainted by the way the person's feeling that day, by the way the person's asked the question, but all of this stuff goes into it. But you know what doesn't happen? When you go to a bar and you're having a drink next to some random person that you've never met, and you just talk to them about your company, and then they come back to you with actual advice because they're not a customer, and you're like, wow, that's the groundwork that you can do as an early entrepreneur, that you can do as a business of one, that these big companies try to emulate with automation. Oh my God, you don't have to use automation. That's the beauty of it. You can actually save some of your capital and use it into the humans that go out and actually put, including yourself, to go out and actually talk about your business. And I think it's funny because you see it in these brands like Amazon and Apple, and like Ring. Ring is a great example. Ring company still exists, right? Yes. Amazon owns Ring. Do we all know that? Yep. Do we know how many businesses are owned by all of the same 10 businesses we can point to? We could draw this diagram. I'll make it. That'll be one of my first pieces of content to be like, here are all the brands you interact with that you think are interpersonal. Joe's conglomerate. Uh, yeah, analysis. and then here's who owns all of them. That's what they all have in common. They're all owned by Coke. They're all owned by Disney. And when you start to break that down, you realize that they don't fold them into their companies. Ring still exists as Ring. It's not Amazon. They didn't change it to Amazon doorbell. 
They kept the ring name. They changed the customers. They changed the customers. They have a bigger customer base. They know exactly how to pitch them. And now they have people in the place that they're like, no, no, no. We want your customer-facing brand. Your brand is more relatable to everybody than Amazon is. Walmart will experience the same thing as they're going head-to-head with Amazon, right? Like, they're trying to bring on the same. They just did a deal with Shopify. I don't know if you heard it. Shopify silently went up like 300% in Q2 of this year. Like, blew away their projections. They're a 30 billion dollar company now they're changing e-commerce right behind paypal's back and they just did a deal with walmart to help bring more early entrepreneurs onto the walmart platform because they're directly going after amazon who also large allows for third-party sellers you think walmart like brands are going to be like "Ooh, i don't know if i want walmart attached to my name because it sounds like a commodity price where amazon doesn't have that so it's like it doesn't matter the company's still funneling from the top they're just trying to find smaller companies to be the new face to be the new ground troops that they can actually get information from. Yeah, Heinz owns six different hot sauce and barbecue companies that all look like cute little mom and pop, you know, from the countryside, whatever. They don't change the branding. They buy them and they, you know, they, they, they repackage They stay it. exactly yes. where they are. They stay exactly where they are because then to roll them in, what would be the point? It, you lose most of the benefit Correct. of the acquisition, which is the people now feel like they're part of a bigger thing, which seems cool, but it isn't once you realize you have yeah. a matrix of managers. And it's like, I think that my first th- thought about this was when I was a freshman in college and I found out that Abercrombie and Hollister, the two brands that I went back and forth through in high school, like everybody did in the early 2000s, were owned by the same company. And you're like, wow, I spent so much time talking to people about which one was better and how their marketing's better. And it's the same company. The same company owns them, doesn't run them, but owns them and gives them the infrastructure to be as powerful yeah. as they are with the marketing and branding towards a certain segment yeah. of the audience. Equinox is a controlling owner inside of SoulCycle, and SoulCycle is a direct competitor to Equinox. Yeah. yeah. They're little, I mean, so, and that's that's a strategy and tactic. You know, the big takeaway from all that, and I was just like, I was just downloading it as you were talking and thinking about it. For all these micro gym owners that are sitting there listening to this, I'm going cover a lot of stuff, like the, the, the company and one concept and all this other, and all this other stuff. It essentially, I think what it comes down to is, and I, I feel like I have a part responsibility in this, I think accepting what you got into. Like I, one thing, and I have not done it, I've not seen anyone else do it. If you're a gym owner and you have a facility of this size and you have a price point within here, this is it. This is essentially it. Like this box right here, you're probably never going to do anything more than this box. And honestly, if you even fill this entire box, that would be really good because most don't, right? Right. But that's it. And this is what's really the reality of getting into that box. Like it's almost like career day. Like career day, like I feel like there needs to be a really good look at like, uh, I'm Joe and I own this software CRM website and a studio. Like this is what the box looks like. This is how much I could probably make without having to, yeah. grow, you know, whatever. And I don't think there's enough of that out there to give people really good, realistic expectations. Because you're right. I think growth culture consumes people. I think people are also misinformed of things like, you know, even the Aeropostle, American Eagle thing or Amber Crombie thing. Like, the people just don't understand how it all works. We just get into the business. We're passionate about it, which is the worst reason to start a business. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean you're good at it or doesn't mean that it's going to make you money. Right. Um, there's just a ton of information out there, and uh, yeah, as you were talking, there, I was just like, "There's, there's such a different angle of content that myself and other people, and and you with like your new your new podcast coming out that you can start educating people on." Well, yeah, and that's what I'm super excited about too, because now I can open myself up. I think for me, um, I like to know where things are going to go, and I think that that's what held me back for so long. And there was two things: it was knowing where things are going to go, meaning that I don't like to create content that can't be used, or I, I and I take this approach. I think this is a funny approach. So I call it my um, escalator approach to development, and I now use it in my personal life. The idea is that 
you build something like an escalator in the hopes that it transports people in a better way from the floor to the next floor. But if it breaks, it's still stairs. So it still functions. It still works, right? And that's how I approach literally every part of this office. It's how I approach my own business where it's like, how do I make something that has the maximum potential it could possibly have without deteriorating all of my time, right? And at a minimum, even if it doesn't work the way that I planned it to, it's still functional. And I think that when I was trying to produce content, and I mean, I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I said I haven't shot videos that, that won't see the light of day and recorded podcasts that won't see the light of day because I was practicing for myself. I was getting better. I was understanding my flow. And a lot of this place is set up to be like my flow because I want to have an idea two rooms over and be able to come podcast it without having to think about what I, what gear that I need to set up and what I need to plug in. And I want the quality of it to be consistent. And I think I'm finally at this precipice now and I feel it. I can feel being right on the edge of being like, okay, I haven't been active, so like very active on social since social was a thing. I mean, I probably can count, I mean, really, if you went back, maybe an aggressive guess would be under 200 posts in my entire life since social media existed. Probably under 100 if I really wanted to go in and count it, right? So when you look at something like that, it's like, well, why? Everybody else is the share economy. It's all about attention, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, but I wasn't ready to have attention on me yet because I didn't have fucking anything to say. It's not like I didn't have any opinions. I didn't have, but now I have some experience. I have some stuff that's like, this is actually relevant. I've I've met people where I've always I've always fretted talking to a larger audience because as a marketer, I want to know exactly who my audience is so I know how to address them. I can write ads for days that that specifically focus on an avatar. But when you say your avatar is literally anyone, it breaks my brain. Because I'm like, well, yeah, but I wouldn't say it like that to a nine-year-old. There's a YouTube series that's like a five-year-old, a fifth grader, you know, a, a, a senior in high school, a college educated, and then a doctorate. And you're just like, how do you explain the same concept? Well, it's not the same sentence. So you have different sentences for these different people. And I always worried that if I just broadly put myself out there without giving some context, that I'd be nervous about how people received it because I'd want them to receive it in the best way possible. And I think by having something as broad as not answers, just perspective, you know, like this isn't advice. This isn't me telling you this is how it should be done. It's me giving you my perspective or somebody else's perspective or a perspective that I've come up with from an avatar that I've created or dealt with in the past and how they would look at it because these are the types of things that inform the biggest decisions that you'll ever make. And I just want to have my hat in the ring to be someone someone's ear to, to give them another idea. So I was going to say, if anyone listening to this has ideas for topics, I'm more than open. So just DM me. Shoot Joe a DM. Shoot just DM, DM. me. I'm, I'm sure I'll be tagged in this. So like DM me at Joe Tabaldi. And just honestly, I don't care if it's fitness related. It can be anything that falls into an interesting perspective or something that you'd like to know more about because research and absorption of content has kind of been my thing. And now I'm ready to kind of give some people cliff notes on the shit that I've learned. I'm excited for it, buddy. I'm excited. I'm glad. I'm, I'll be excited to come in here and, uh, and talk on your podcast. Yes, I'll be excited too, Switching which should roles. happen by the end of the month. Good shit, man. Buddy, thank you. Yes, Guys, thank we'll you. see you.